Hey, and welcome to Tomorrow. I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. This week, we discuss Beeple, A Clockwork Orange, and Will I Am. I don't waste one minute. Let's get right into it. Ryan, we're back. We're back. From a, after a long hiatus. Yeah, we took, we took a real break. Hiatus. What did I say? I said, for a second, it sounded like I said hyenas, which is not... <laughs> It's not what I want to say, and and to anyone I've offended, uh, I apologize. Uh, Look at my hyenas. Wow. <laughs> well, that's what I'm working on right now with intense my intense exercise schedule. Remember, I said at the beginning when we started recording that I had my mic in a different place. Well, I've I've succumbed to not liking the way my voice sounds, and I've so I've moved my mic to where to where <laughs> it's not so where it normally is. No, that's what you think, but you're going to hear the difference. You're going to go, wow, like this guy is an audio. Uh, genius wizard. audio wizard yeah do you listen to your own voice while you record mm, i mean i can hear myself talking yeah i have a, i use a, a yeti blue yeti and it has its own headphone output on the mic which is actually brilliant yeah and so it has its own uh volume control and i can turn it up or down and yeah so i do hear my own there may be a way to set it up so you don't hear your own voice but it's actually quite helpful to me it's actually oh i can't stand it i i oh. i I get caught in the sound, and then I would just end up making whale sounds, being like, yeah. "Hello, listening yeah. to all high. the like levels of you're my high voice. right now." If you were not stoned, you wouldn't feel that way. I, I, I'm sure this is what the tomorrow listener they had been missing. They were like, "Oh, of course." They were like, "Tony was like, you know, I haven't, I haven't heard two guys just talk about the the sounds of their microphones for <laughs> five straight minutes." And where is that? We like we're this is like classic podcast stuff. It's like two white guys <laughs> going like, "Is this bike sound okay?" That's like that is like classic. I mean, that is like put that in the in the Library of Congress. <laughs> we want to make sure we we retain this model of this mode of communication. We want to show future generations what pod what the what the what the original podcast was like. Hey, hey. <laughs> It beats Clubhouse. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Clubhouse is here's my. I'm gonna give you my my prediction about Clubhouse. Dead, dead. As soon as summer rolls around and we have enough people vaccinated, hundred percent, absolutely not interested. You know what I don't want to do ever again if I can help it is be at home at night listening to people talk to each other on the internet. Nope. Like, like here's the thing: the cool people will be gone immediately yeah and then who's left i mean if you want to just not to be a dick but if you want to sit around with incels who don't leave their homes wow then you're gonna have I mean, a really good I, time I mean, there, look there are some okay i mean on every service there's cool people and there's uncool people but i'm just saying i don't want i can't comment i haven't used clubhouse enough to really comment on the quality of the of the anybody user. with an interesting enough life that you would want to hear talk about that life is going to be out all summer vaccinated. So <laughs> right, but what I will say is, yeah, what I will say is, I just think the concept of being uh, at home at night, if you don't have to be, is going to be one of the least appealing things uh, for people in our new in our near future. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Like I think this there is a and I feel this very strongly and I I love being at home. 
Like, I think, and we've talked about this before, but the the silver lining of the pandemic for me, if we can find any of them, and we must, I think, strive to find some here and there, mm-hmm. is, you know, I got to be at home around all the stuff that I like and, and all the people that I like, and I got to hang out with Zelda a lot, and I and I, and I actually think... I mean, as a business, we've been extremely productive during this period. I mean, you know, input has grown enormously. We've grown the other brands and uh, the culture and innovation group at BDG. We are doing new things that are going to be exciting for this year. And like, I feel like I've been working well and hard, but also have had a lot more time to do things like hang out with my daughter, which is really was hard to do when I was commuting every single day. So there's like, that's nice. And I love being at home. And I love my house, but at this point, I'm like, okay, I, 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 I'm, I've done enough of that. I wouldn't. I need to go somewhere. I need to be around some other people. I need to like, just not be looking at. You know, I'm sitting in this room. It's like I need to not be sitting in this room. So, I do think that, and for me, that's like an extreme shift, right? Like, you know, I'm not a highly social person. Uh. But now I'm like, God damn it. I want to physically socialize with people. So I think if I feel that, I think a lot of other people are feeling it even more acutely than I feel it. And so that's my armchair, my armchair prediction about Clubhouse. I mean, all, you know, best wishes to your, uh, to your thing, but it's like, I just don't see The thing is you can't time shift Clubhouse. So when everybody doesn't have the exact same availability anymore, oh, well, I guess podcasts are it again. Yeah, like it is. It is what it is. You can't DVR Clubhouse, and why would you want? Well, to? Well, I mean, I suppose you could DVR Clubhouse, but like, but that's, why would you? But want that's to? that's like a podcast, a Colin show. I mean, that's a Colin show, a podcast with no edits. How tragic! Let's quit describing our podcast, anyhow. Um, so so that we, I didn't mean at all to talk about Clubhouse, but here we are. You know, um, <laughs> so so anyhow, okay. What else is going on? It's been we haven't talked in a couple of weeks. And there's yeah. a lot of news happening right now. There's important things and also less important things. You know, the most important thing would be um, Will I Am is releasing a face mask. There's no. Ought to be honest with you, the amount of coverage that Will I Am can generate on a product that will inevitably be inevitably be a complete turd, <laughs> like is really. I mean, Will I Am should be celebrated and congratulated for continually getting people to cover stuff that is like. Uh, he has never released anything product-wise that is not just absolute crap. So I really remember the typewriter for iPads. Uh, yeah, I mean that might have been closer to something that almost was a good idea for him. You know, like didn't it like the 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 thing would flick up and then hit the touchscreen for you with a oh, capacitor? Did it? I don't know about that, but that's a really funny <laughs> idea. That's honestly like that actually makes me want to buy that product. <laughs> I love the idea that there's like. They couldn't get the Bluetooth working, so it was like there's an actual little, like rubber thing that flips up or whatever. <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah. So, Will I am released a mask. It's called the uh, the Will super, You Not Superhero. So it's superhero with an X, I believe. Mm-hmm. Super mask. Sorry, super mask. Super. I guess it's supposed to be pronounced super mask, but I won't be doing that. I will be pronouncing it super mask, which makes it sound very German. Like it makes it sound like the Ubermensch, basically. Uh, and so the mask is like, it's he's doing it with uh, Honeywell. Honeywell. So he's doing it with Honeywell. It's designed by this guy, uh, uh, Jose Fernandez, who has designed stuff for like superhero movies. And the idea is that it looks kind of like a, like a Bane. I guess it's supposed to be like a Bane mask kind of, or like a Iron Man sort of vibe. 
You know, it's like I get the idea. I do. It makes sense that we would like – there's been a lot of fashion masks. I I, I personally wouldn't wear this. Um, You know, it looks like it's more than I want on my face. Like I think – I hope that we get to a point where masks are optional, hopefully, but also where we have masks that are like very minimal. Like however minimal we can make them, I'd, I'd like them to be more minimal. I don't have a problem with wearing a mask. I like I I like them just fine. I the idea of like spending two hundred fifty dollars on a mask like this is is that how much they're selling it for? I don't know. Doesn't feel like a thing I'm getting. This like clubhouse I feel will be increasingly less desirable. Three hundred dollars actually. I I feel like I feel like this is the kind of thing that he had he released it six months ago would have been a slam dunk. I don't. I just don't want all of my gadgety things in one device like i want my headphones to be a separate thing so Mm. that i can replace them and then keep my masks yeah and i'm definitely going to continue wearing masks on the subway for the rest of my life because i have not gotten sick as often this year yeah um but i want it to be modular yeah this is very cool looking but i don't have three hundred dollars to spend when i could spend two hundred dollars to get brand new airpods and then a hundred dollars on a variety of masks Yeah, you could have a whole uh, a whole closet full of masks for the cost of this yeah it's cool looking if you were to give one to me i'd be like cool like all of will i am's ideas it sort of is like intriguing to look at and then um if you just peel a little bit uh, away like the surface layer you're kind of like this is not good and it's bad and i don't want it so i mean you know congrats will i am i think his his main contribution is just getting his ability i mean what what i'm impressed by and what we should all sort of marvel at is his ability to get coverage on things that other people would be, it would be absolutely ignored. It's like, I think it's very novel to people that, that this guy like is interested in technology and occasionally does some collaboration. I mean, I think it should be a lesson to a lot of other celebrities that they should be doing more. He's like bizarro Kanye. Yeah, kind of, but Kanye does stuff that people want. And I mean, at least in a, in a space that is, uh, you know, it's fashion. He's where... like he's like corny or gaga. Yeah. Well, her Polaroid collab was very good. <laughs> Whatever happened with that? Did they make a, a money? Ga- did they make like a gaga? <laughs> did they even ever do like a gaga camera or anything? I have no idea. Like, I know they made a Spice Girls camera because I own it. You know, what'd be cool is if they made a camera that was a mirror. Like the whole thing was mirrored. <laughs> I mean, actually, that's like Wait, to, what? That's like dispo. That's very like that's very like disposable culture. Like, here's your photo. It only lasts as long as you stay no, here. No, 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 no. No, I mean, like, I no. I was thinking more like you know how like people will get like a uh, Lamborghini and then they do that that wrapping that's like super reflective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking more like that. Like it would be like a regular old school Polaroid, but it would be wrapped or it would be just done in like a highly reflective mirrored material. Which I think would be, cam. Yeah, which I think would be cool because first, I mean, it's very that feels very Gaga to me, and um, suddenly the Koontz is me. Yeah, so, <laughs> suddenly, <laughs> suddenly I am the Koontz. Okay, I am Koontz. I am Koontz. I love that character from Guardians of the Galaxy. Koontz. Oh, I was gonna say sequel to I Am Legend. <laughs> yeah, okay, pretty close. Pretty close. I am Koontz. Very good. Uh, at any rate, <laughs> that that is that is one of her worst lyrics. I mean. Oh my god! I mean, I'm a hardcore Gaga. I would die for her, but there are some clunkers, it's and that sits at the top of the it's pile. Embar- it's embarrassing. Um, that and um, uh, uh, all of the "Born This Way" lyrics, uh, all of them. They're so. 
I mean, when I go to Pride and you have to hear that song on repeat, like on a loop, it, it, it Chola Descent just doesn't go away. Oh my God. Also, just <laughs> Born This Way is his Express Yourself, right? Yes. It's like exact. I mean, do they credit Madonna? Um, they no. should. I mean, Madonna, like, I think sued them. And, like, here's the thing technically, on paper, by the, like, letter of the law it really isn't that similar and and mm. but it, it the vibe is exactly the same uh, and there are some similar chord i mean like, like the vibe is similar the 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 music is similar her career is kind of similar <laughs> like there's a lot there if you were going to sue anyhow okay i don't want to talk about i don't want to talk about born this way i want to talk about blame will i am i want to talk, talk about, about um cyberpunk could we talk yeah. about cyberpunk Do you yes talk about that? that's what i was gonna say oh okay Good, because I know we had it on our list, and I'm very – so Cyberpunk 2077, the greatest game of all time, uh, was just given – has just been given a huge update. It's a 24-gigabyte update, in case you're wondering. I, down, yeah. I downloaded it last night and played it for the first time. A couple of things I want to note. Uh, first, this in the, with, with this update, which is – this is so interesting to me, I have seen bugs – in this update that were bugs that people were talking about from the previous version of cyberpunk that I never saw like this update in every, for every platform besides stadia, I have had, it, it, I mean, like, like my problems have multiplied. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand. Like why just don't, if it, what, how did you play this and be like, this is better. This is worth downloading 24 gigabytes. Yeah. It, it's it's uh it's very interesting i would say um anyhow so okay so wait so it's 24 gigs and i downloaded it last night and played it uh a couple of things i noted i mean i immediately saw my frame rates were lower with my with my settings the way they were i changed i mean this is very nerdy but i'm just going to talk about it anyhow i changed the setting there's this um the uh it's the dlss setting it's an it's an rtx you know nvidia rtx exclusive setting and i you know i it's unclear what it what it actually is doing i guess it's doing like this kind of um doing like it's optimizing the resolution of certain elements in the in the rendering process meaning when it's when it's working, you know, things that are further away that obviously you wouldn't have as much clarity, it downscales the resolution of those surfaces or or whatever. I, I think you can tell I'm not an expert here. At any rate, I've been playing it with the auto setting on the whole time. I switched it to like the ultra performance setting. I am I cannot find a difference, to be honest with you. Like I can't tell the difference and the performance is like crazy better. Like like I'm getting a solid 60 frames per second with everything else set to ultra, everything else set to ultra and the ray tracing set to psycho. So I, whatever it is doing, whatever it's supposed to be doing, whatever I'm like missing, it's unclear to me. I'm looking now. Oh, I'm looking here at balance. There's a website that has, there's performance. Okay. There's some stuff it's not doing. I see. I'm seeing now ultra performance. I see. Okay. It's interesting the subtlety of the details that are lost and how much of an effect it has. Um, at any rate, I think the point is so I so the so so in terms of uh frame rate, I'm fine. Doesn't seem like a huge problem. I the game still seems very buggy. I mean, I don't I don't know what they fixed. 
they f- must have fixed some stuff. 24 gigs is a lot. They fixed some things behind the scenes, I guess. Um, the, the, uh, what I can say is, is people were doing things that I've never seen them do in the game, which was surprising. Like, well, like people would get into cars and be sitting on the roof of the car. Now I'd never had that bug before. So it's, it weirdly, it's like they introduced the bug to my version. That's how it feels. Do you know what I'm saying? So I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know how I should feel about that. Uh, but I feel worried, you know? Um, to me, it says that they didn't actually fix, that they that there's a lot of, like, that they don't understand what the problem is, but there's, like, hot fixes or whatever, and they're, like, rushing to get it done. And I get it. Like, you guys really got to... But I would rather, I honestly 100% would rather wait a year and then them tell me there's a service pack two or whatever that makes it good. And then I'd be like, okay, great. And then I would play the game. Um, As it stands, I haven't finished the game because even as a professional video game player, I, uh, I, I, it's buggy as hell and it, I, it wasn't a very good game and the parts of it that were really good. Did you finish it? You finished back. it. No, I didn't finish it. Okay, I haven't finished I it. I watched a playthrough because I was like, I don't want to play it. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm planning on finishing it and I'm actually trying to finish everything in the game. Like, I, there's I, what I will say about Cyberpunk and maybe this is either a testament to the, it's either a testament to the game. I know we've talked about it a lot on here and I'm sure Tony's very bored of hearing about it. It's either a testament to the game or to to my lack of other things to play at the moment um i'm like very interested in doing all of the things all of the side quests i do find and you said this very early on it's interesting i thought about it a lot uh you said that the side quests in many ways did a better job of telling a story than the main story uh and, and and i do think there is something to be said for that some of the ideas and some of the detail in some of these side quests and the way they flesh out your character i will say what's different in this game than in many other games i've played is in in most games of this type side quests feel really annoying to me like in fallout when somebody's like i can't find my sister she was last seen in this factory and you're like okay i'll i guess i'll go look for your sister for like 400 credits or whatever <laughs> you know like i'm always like this sucks and i don't want to do this and i'm not interested in it at all and there's no reason why i would be but i'll you know it seems like the game wants me to do it so i'll do it uh, the, the side quests in this game don't feel that way, and and and, and I I was actually part of the reason I, I booted it back up was because um, Gene Park, who writes for the Washington Post, who does game stuff for the Washington Post, was talking about there's there was this pitch that went out this week to media. We got it. I think we wrote about it. Um, it's like some AR thing where you can watch, you can experience the final moments of like Jesus's like life. Uh, like while he's on the cross. Yeah, they uh, the same people uh also did one, and they just announced that they're canceling it. So you know, everybody who's about to hear this, it's okay. We fixed it. Oh, did we? Uh, okay, we got him. Anyhow, it's like, uh, really dumb. It's like, but, but it was like Martin Luther King's last moments before he was assassinated, like shit, like that. Like, the one that they said that they stopped that I think is the most egregious and should put this all into perspective is that they wanted to do George Floyd's yeah. last moments. Yes, it's which. It's insane. I mean, these people should go to jail. Just the way, just the, I'm speechless. Like, what? How do? You, how can you even develop an idea so bad? Sometimes I'm like, I marvel at the depth of other people's bad ideas. I'm like, it. It would never occur to me to come up with something so absolutely outrageously stupid, and yet you've like completely nailed it. And it's almost, it's almost, you know, 
respectable. I mean, it's a horrible idea, but it is, it's such a bad, it's such an extreme bad idea that you almost have to hand it. You got it. <laughs> you don't in fact got to hand it to them, but you kind of got to hand it to them because it's like, you've, you're like a, uh, you know, you're like a genius of bad ideas. Like, like you, other people have bad, regular bad ideas, but yours are world changing bad. And that's really impressive. Anyhow, yes, yeah, so this company is doing – and so Gene Park was tweeting about it, and he was like, this is literally one of the side quests in Cyberpunk and one of the ones that I thought was really disturbing to play through. And so he ruined it for me, which sucks, which is – no, I, I like Gene a lot, and I think he's great, and and everybody should follow him on Twitter. But um, but I was like, oh, well, that sounds really – like, what is he getting at? That I did not – it's one that I have avoided playing and actually, like – I played through the beginning of it and I was like, you know what? I don't want to do this mission because it starts with you having to like kill somebody and it's like the whole setup is like you don't know why you're killing them and the person who's like wants you to do it seems really sketchy and you're kind of like, you know, because you're like a bad guy. In the game, you're kind of like a, a mercenary. So you'll do – I mean at least the character I'm playing is a mercenary who will do whatever. And um, so I was like – I backed out of it the first time, and then I was like, okay, I'll go do this, I guess, because I kind of want to see what he's talking about. And and that sort of brings me to why I ended up playing Cyberpunk again after so long. I haven't played it in a while, probably a couple of months or something. Um, and it was a – it's an interesting storyline. It's, it's, it, it is legitimately disturbing. I will say um, there are a few moments so far in the game – I mean, now we're talking – I mean, how long has it been out? Six months? It's been out a long time. There are moments in this game that I'm like, wow, this is super next level storytelling, super next level experience. There's Very moments talented people worked on this game, which is not cohesively a good game. Yeah. Like there's moments of real brilliance and real like you kind of step back and go, this is a this is a this is a work of art. And then there's a lot of stuff in between those moments that you're like, this is not a work of art. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's like, um, yeah, it's interesting. Anyhow, so so anyhow, that's my Cyberpunk 1.2 update uh, review, which is it's it's still buggy and it seems to hurt frame rate and uh I, maybe it's less buggy than than it was before, but you know, I'm it's still like issues like you are talking and then someone else is talking at the same time and it doesn't show the subtitles. I had a whole sequence where I was in a car and the guys like watch this video and the entire video played with no sound. And then, and it's like, there's no subtitles. And then they, and then my character is like talking about the video and I'm like, okay, I guess I don't know what that was on the video and there's no way to go back and redo it, you know? Mm -hmm. Anyhow. So uh, long story short, let's see what the 1.3 update holds because <laughs> the 1.2 update does not get us very far, but I still think it's an intriguing game. I wish, I wish it were a better game. I want it to be a better game. I'll continue to play it, but. Speaking know. of games, uh -oh. um, do you want to talk about the Legend of Zelda story that we have on the site? Yeah, can you set it up for me? I actually haven't read. Yes. I mean, I don't wanna, I'm embarrassed to say I have not read the story yet, but t talk to me about this. So in the 90s, which is how all good stories begin, in the 90s, um, Nintendo wanted to make a Super Nintendo with um, a CD add-on and they went to Sony and they made a deal and they were like, we're going to call it the Nintendo PlayStation. And then that deal obviously fell apart and you can assume all the things that happened since then. But because they didn't want to work with Sony, they went to Philips and said, Hey Philips, 
will you do the CD-ROM attachment for us? And um, which ended up never coming out. And Philip said, sure, but we want to use Nintendo characters um, in games for our CDI platform, which was terrible. Um, and Nintendo said, who cares? <laughs> Your thing is horrible. It will fail. Who cares? <laughs> um, and they were right. However. As usual. <laughs> however, um, they did go ahead and make some games. They made a Mario game and they made Legend of Zelda games. And they are among the worst games, in my opinion, ever to ever have Nintendo branding on them. They're basically like uh, FMV cartoon games, but they're very cheaply made. I, I, I mean, they're it's just it's not good. Um, and yet, obviously, because every the internet is wide and vast, and there's lots of people on it. Um, uh, people love it. Like people have like a like a real fondness for their memories of the. Um, terrible Legend of Zelda games. And so a group of people have, like fans, have uh, done complete HD remasters that run on PC of these games. Um, and now they're going forward to make um, spiritual sequels mm. to these games that nobody likes, <laughs> except them, apparently. Um, and <laughs> You know, uh, it's, it's, it, the internet's amazing because we find we keep finding that there's literally a community for everything. I just, I can't help but think that, like, Nintendo is running around telling people you're not allowed to play Smash Brothers in a competition. Um, but apparently they have no issue with this. It's just, it's, uh, I don't know. It's beautiful. It's, You've it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, uh, uh, fans are so, the, what they can accomplish. I mean, minds. look, look, look at what they did with, with the Snyder Cut, you know? Here's a. I saw a story. Not to completely deviate from this. Actually, hold on. Let me before we, before I deviate to the story that I want to talk about, which I just remembered. Uh, the so have you have you played? Are these play? You've played these? Can you play yeah. them? Yeah. I mean, they're basically just the CDI games. And um, a CDI game is like it's like a choose your own adventure kind of like yeah. It's like an interactive basically. Yes. Uh Huh. This is. I'm just perusing the images. I mean, in just story. look at the art. The, the I mean, art is art nuts. Looks like a like a high schooler in a in an illustration class. Oh my god! Like, I love I love hobbits. <laughs> so <laughs> this is so good. I yeah. I'm, if you have the time, go to inputmag.com, please, and look at these pictures because it's just that they released this. Like Nintendo had to say okay to this. It's wild. CDI was like. CDI was like a standard format that was available on like uh, it was like an interactive CD format, right? That it was like mm -hmm. you could get it on a it's like a CD player that you bought for your to listen to music on. They had CDI features that you could connect it to like a TV, correct? Yeah, a few different people. Yes, a few different groups have attempted to do this over the years, and they've all been obviously really bad because. If your dedicated game console designed from the ground up to be great at gaming also plays DVDs, great. But if your DVD player just happens to play games, I can guarantee you the games are not going to be good. And a few different groups of people have tried this. Um, but CDI was one of the earliest attempts. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, I mean, it, how many choose-your-own-adventure FMV games do you play not on those consoles? So imagine a console that's only dedicated to that. And it wasn't, you know, they they had no install base. So yeah. the quality obviously isn't there. Mm. Um, but, I, I mean, it, it does speak to the, like, not only the strength of Nintendo's IP, but also just, like, 
there is someone who will apologize for anything. So yeah, like this with the Snyder cut, there is a group of people for whom that is the greatest film that has ever been released. Well, I'm, <laughs> you just have to appreciate their. Let me tell you about that. Actually, diversity. <laughs> so the Snyder oh, you cut. want to talk about the Snyder cut? <laughs> Let's talk about the Snyder cut because we. I, I don't think we actually have discussed the Snyder cut post me having seen all of the Snyder cut, and so, um, so first off. First off, before we get into my opinion of the Snyder Cut, which we're going to, I guess, now, I want to say that um, I just saw somebody talking about the uh, performance of the Snyder Cut, and apparently uh, it did very poorly. I mean, in the grand scheme of things that are, um, you know, what's driving people to HBO Max and what people are watching there, uh, it seems like it's not the Snyder Cut. Like, if you can imagine, it turns people out... People love HBO Max. People love HBO Max, but it turns out they don't really care about the Snyder Cut. No. That's what the numbers I've seen. Now, I could be wrong, uh, but but uh, I'm just... This is, you know, based on some reporting. Well, I mean, you got to also get those black and white numbers because I'm sure only one third a real difference. Here's something... Okay, this is... A, New Justice League viewing numbers, only one third finished... This is from a Screen Rant. Only one third finished the Snyder Cut, which is not good. Uh, but there's something it's newer. It's a four-hour movie, you know? Yeah. Well, I started and I watched about a third of it. And I'm like, well, okay. Saw that. Um, anyhow, so there's some new reporting that uh, it was not a driver for them of either people signing up or people really watching as much, not as much as something like Wonder Woman or Godzilla versus Kong or Judas and the Black Messiah have been, um, which is very interesting. So uh, it, it's the four, it's the fourth out of those movies for for viewership. So that should give you an interesting little peek into what's going on, but. But I watched the Snyder Cut, okay? And it is very long. It is, uh, you know, like like everything in that universe, it feels like it was airdropped in on people with like a bunch of stuff that we're supposed to like understand. You know, it's like if they had released an Avengers movie before doing all of the origin movies. Yeah, you know? or if they released an Avengers movie and it wasn't in any capacity entertaining. Well, no, but okay, so, okay, let's, I, I, I'll give you, Let's take the entertainment factor out of it for a second. Let's just talk about let's just talk about how you communicate things to people, okay? They throw you in the deep end with a lot of Celtic chanting. I mean, I think that like I think that Zack Snyder was going to use this based on the 4-hour version of this movie I saw. He was going to use it to give the characters of The Flash and Cyborg a backstory, which is like those are their own, absolutely their own movies if you want them to be. If, yeah. if if you really care. Doing it like, okay, you have three characters that you've introduced us to. Obviously, There's literally a, like five season television show about the Flash's origin story. I mean, there's <laughs> look, Batman, very well known. So we meet old Batman. Superman, pretty fucking well known. I mean, there's but there were two Superman movies, right? Before this, right? There's two or is there one? Is it Man of Steel? I guess then Batman versus Superman counts as the Batman second one. Superman Horrible. One like of the worst of all times. I mean, truly one of the worst movies ever made. True, just staggeringly bad. Uh, so then they're like, okay. And then Wonder Woman, I guess, was was released. Aquaman was after this movie, right? Yes. Yeah. So so they were like, so they were like, 
let's cram and Aquaman's like his character is like it's like why is he even in this movie it doesn't even make any sense it's like feels like out everything feels out of sequence and yeah, the point is they're like okay now we've gone from the movie where Batman and Superman were fighting to a movie where we introduce you know three-ish new characters and now they're all teaming up and oh also they're fighting these intergalactic villains and oh also the intergalactic villains have some boxes that are very important because actually not the main villain that's in the movie but there's another bigger villain behind him and 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 if we get to the second and third movies in this series you'll see how it all it all makes sense and it's like it's like why would i get to the second and third in the series because you've given me nothing to latch on to in the way of meaningful storytelling it's like it's all it feels like things are just happening and it's like no one really knows why and like no one knows why i mean this is bad writing this version of it improves some things uh, uh, against the joss whedon version i mean which was a horror i mean absolutely I mean, the almost, bar is on the floor the bar is on the floor it's like almost an unwatchable movie it's so stupid and bad this makes it like it's sort of interesting to see like the choices that were made but like as an actual movie no matter what cut you look at no matter what story you were, these guys were trying to tell it's like it's garb it's bad it's a bad movie with bad character development with bad stories bad writing bad dialogue uh stupid special effects horrible villains it's just not a good movie the fuck the fucked up thing is that like someone somewhere expected people to just shovel this in like like people at this company executives at the company or Zack Snyder or whoever were like not the, not the 4 hour cut i understand that's like some weird whatever it is um it, you know it's just like n- n- there's no amount of 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 fixing that you that you can do to this it's bad it's just bad and his whole the whole concept of these characters is bad and poorly executed and it really is a testament to how what an amazing job they've done with the Marvel stuff that they've, I mean, I hated the Marvel stuff originally. I was like, I'm not interested in these dumb superhero movies. Like they don't do anything for me. And over time they have actually like turned it into like a kind of compelling. Now it's still like absolute popcorn, very low importance. Not like, I understand it's like the biggest cultural thing in the world, but it's still like, you know, it it doesn't, it's not like more or less important than the fast and furious series which is also just absolute popcorn action movie stuff, you know? Um, well, it may be a little bit more important because of the kind of legacy of these characters and how they've you know, changed our cultural sort of view viewpoints. One other thing I want to say, actually, which sort of dovetails into talking a little bit about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I wasn't planning on talking about, but I want to. Um, I do think, like, people need to give... And people really need to start thinking more about like these characters having stories. I mean, I think we've gotten we are I mean, maybe it's the pandemic, but I think we're getting really past the point where the epic two and a half hour movie where a super baddie is fought and it has to be fixed in two and a half hours is like starting to be pretty fatiguing for these types of movies. I it's just, you know, we've seen it's not very interesting to be like okay, what if it was a big gray monster and this guy had a crisis of his faith in himself, but um, he comes through at the end with an innovative way to stop the big gray monster and another superhero pops up for a cameo. But this time his power is dinosaurs. Yeah. You know right. what I mean? Like, it's like, I, I've seen this movie so many times that like, yes, a cool action sequence, great. Which is why I loved Godzilla versus King Kong because it was so stupid. It wasn't even attempting to tell a good story. It was literally like, we're going to set up a series of justifications for cool things to happen. And like, fine, 
fine. You know what you're doing. That is fine. I'm at home. It cost me nothing. I am fine with this. What I'm not fine with is going to newly reopened movie theaters, paying $45 to sit down and watch someone do the exact same movie I've seen a hundred times, but this time their power is pasta. They yeah. Make a lot of yeah, pasta. Yeah. I mean, like, I, <laughs> like, like, I'm all for... You know, I think you could do innovative things with the genre, but I think we're starting to get to the point now where even the innovative things are like kind of getting rote. Like, but like WandaVision, the, anything is possible in this universe. So come up with something I've never seen. Right. If I if I were to pitch a movie in which I, I, it takes place in a universe in which anything is possible, and I have an unlimited budget, and I pitch another Spider-Man origin story, like I'm going to shoot you. Right. Like, no, I that's mean, crazy. I, I think. I think. Um, WandaVision is a great example of what you can do with the genre um, when you break out of the movie stuff and when you give these characters some room to breathe and you actually use like comic book storytelling the way it is meant to be, which is comic book storytelling is at its best when it's really weird and unexpected and totally like outrageous. And so, so you know, the movies don't – they do that a little bit, but they tend to focus on the parts where the comic book characters fight. And that's only like a very, very small part of actual comic book storytelling. And so 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 on that point, so WandaVision was super ambitious and I think a really great TV show and a really great entertainment experience and did things with those characters that that other uh, other, you know, comic book shows or even movies haven't done or couldn't do. So then you you get to Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is the follow-up Marvel Disney Plus TV show, which follows the story of uh, Sam Wilson, Falcon, and Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier. And they're like, they you know, it's like this kind of odd couple. They don't really like each other, but they have to team up to stop, you know, to fight crime, basically. And uh, it's like everything that Wanda – it's like WandaVision was all of the things that this isn't. And it's like this is a an action movie that is taking ten hours to play out. Yeah, um, that you've already seen, and not a good one, and not with, not with very suspect politics. By the way, can we talk oh, about oh, the I villain? Mean, yeah, the villain. Well, the, uh, uh, uh. the villain of the uh, well, okay, the ostensible villain that we've been presented so far is an organization called the Flag Smashers, <laughs> and their goal is to create a unified one world government. Uh, and the way they explain this is like they care about people more than more than nations, and they want to break down borders, and 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 they want the people to rise up. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it's, de- it's definitely like it's definitely like a weird like. Is this Disney arguing against globalization? Yeah, That's it's it's vi- it's basically it's kind of that, but also and also. It's got this, you know, it's sort of like, well, let's throw some things in there that people are familiar with. You know, it's like sort of like, well, they're kind of talking about socialism, but they're then they're talking about this weird globalization, which is absolute like conspiracy theory fodder. And then but then they're also talking about how they have to like crush the weak and do displays. Yeah, they're like but they're blowing they're like blowing a lot of people up and like have super serum and stuff like it's not it's 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 very it's very like incoherent, but also uh they are uh it's this idea that um the, the, for one second of the show i was like this is sort of interesting they have this dynamic where they're talking about the blip which brings everybody back right if you know the marvel universe it brings everybody back who was killed spoiler alert killed in uh avengers infinity war half of all of 
half of all of everybody in the universe is is snapped out of existence. And then the blip brings them back. So then it's an interesting idea because I and, and it, I, they, they're really playing with it a lot. They did it in WandaVision. They're doing it here. Clearly, it's going to be a major plot point of the upcoming films. But they're like, but they're like, uh, you know, what happens when all of these people return who were not here for five years and like life had to basically go on? I mean, it's very leftovers, like the show leftovers, but but it's. But it's like what happens when all those people return and suddenly like the planet is like just like was set up for some other existence and now you're reintroducing these people from the old existence. And and so there was a moment where I was like, oh, this is an interesting the, – the villains of this show are like we liked it better when we had more resources. I mean to me the core of the villains argument is I don't get the whole one world government shit because what they're really saying is like – we want the resources that are now being distributed. It's actually like an anti-socialism message in a way. They're like, the world was better when before the the blip because we all had more resources for people. And so everybody was like doing better. And then all the people came back and now they're distributing those resources to those people and they don't like it. Like that was my impression of their actual argument. And I was sort of like, okay, that is an interesting villain's perspective like it's an interesting idea but it's difficult to justify in a world where our constant conversation is oh we have enough oh we have enough money this is not we have this enough is not resources not well distributed it's just 10 people have access to it yes yeah, so 10 fucking human beings have access to almost all of our wealth that's probably bad so it's really weird to then come around and be like we need to kill half of the poor what we just it's weird. It's just not a good – it's not a relevant or good it's, idea. It's very weird like because the concept of the Flag Smashers the, where they – when you hear the heroes talk about what they want, where they're like they want to bring the world together under one government or something. And then – but then the people are like we want to get – we thought it was better before like when we had more stuff. It's like just in, – again, incoherent. But at any rate – the 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 show I don't want to spend too much time on this because we've already spent a lot of time on it but like the show's bad okay and I'm I'm upset so I'm upset because like it could be good it could be really good I like these characters I I like the interplay between Falcon and Bucky Barnes you know Sam and Bucky I think it's a fun buddy kind of you know they hate each other but they love each other sort of thing uh they've done some things that I think suck so bad like actually are just I don't know what they were thinking for instance uh again I'm going to just say spoiler alert if you haven't watched the most recent episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier um if you're not caught up they bring back one of the best villains from the movies which is this guy his name is Captain Zemo or Baron, Baron Zemo Baron Zemo Well he's Baron Zemo now I mean he always was in the comics but in the in the film uh uh Civil War he is the central villain, and he's like a, a basically like a a guy, a Sokovian. It actually is like a really great story in the whole like when you look at all the stuff they did with WandaVision, and if you look at Age of Ultron as like kind of a backdrop for a lot of the more recent storytelling and what goes on like politically with the Avengers that happens in Civil War, where it's this you know huge debate about like you know sh policing the police in a way, um, but like but like. In the in the movie, uh, uh, 
Civil War, this guy is his family is killed in this like horrible Avengers led disaster in Sokovia, this fake country. And he is on a mission. He's become obsessed with destroying the Avengers and destroying like super soldiers and, and like destroying anybody who's like Captain America or anybody who's got special abilities and, and basically like uh, breaking apart the Avengers. And his concept is like the way to do it is like to basically like destroy them from within. And he like has some information that is kind of like a splintering piece of information for the group. And it's like a really, it's actually like one of the best movies and it's, um and the story is actually pretty, it doesn't feel like a typical Marvel movie. It almost feels like a, like a, like a James Bond movie or a, uh, like a spy thriller, you know? And he's an awesome villain because he's pretty sympathetic, but he's also like, you know, the bad guy, but he's also a person. It's not a fucking superhero. It's not an alien. It's not an AI. He's like a guy, you know, and they fucking put him in this show and they basically tr are trying to like, retcon him. I mean, I know that he has a, a long history in the comic books of being different than the character they present in this movie, but they basically are now like, oh, he's actually like fun and funny and he's also rich and like he doesn't care that much anymore about his dead family and all that Sokovia stuff. And actually he's like like a funny, he's like doing um, comic relief and is I guess going to like make an escape and become a villain later. But it's like they basically ruin the fucking character. And I don't know if they're aware of how bad they ruin the character. That's the thing that is, like, concerning to me, you know? It's sort of like watching the more recent Star Wars movies and going, like, do they know what they're doing with, like, the characters that people actually care about here? Like, do they understand the problems or do they just – are they just blind to it? Anyhow, so this is my review of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is, like, it's not only a bad and unenjoyable show to watch uh, – given all of the things it could be, which is a bummer, but it also is like they're like doing dumb stuff in the in the universe of the Marvel cinematic canon, which I think has potentially, you know, very negative uh, potential effects. I just can't wait until we finally just unite under the Space Jam 2 universe. Yes. And we can say that the Marvel cinematic universe has been retired and subsumed by Space Jam 2. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm uh I'm ready. Space Jam. Can you tell me first what the first Space Jam was about cuz I've never seen it. Okay. So in the original Space Jam movie. <laughs> <laughs> you're like you're like grab a grab a drink, <laughs> pull up a chair. Uh so in the original Space Jam movie. Uh, I Colonel, don't know. The Colonel, sorry. It's Colonel Zemo. I'm sorry. It's Colonel Zemo. Not okay. Captain Colonel. All right, go ahead. Colonel Zemo's, you know, fried chicken um i okay so i don't know where to begin explaining the space jam universe but i will just tell you things and then you can put them together um the world in of space jam is totally the normal world except in the middle of the world is looney tunes cartoons mm -hmm. i don't know why in the middle like actually in the center like of the planet yes, it's, it's godzilla versus king kong style hollow sorry earth. so you mean like it, there's a hollow earth and inside the hollow earth is where the looney tunes live Yes. The Looney Tunes characters. And they make a living by being in cartoons and movies and stuff. So so, like, so it's meta. So they're like, we we exist in reality and our day jobs are that we're in cartoons for humans. Yes. Um, and I like, so it. I like it so far. Michael Jordan quits basketball to be a baseball player. Um, that, that really happened. 
Yes. Yeah. And he hates it and he's really bad. I think, um, I think that happened too, actually. It did. It did. <laughs> but then on another planet is all cartoon planet where um, like a Danny DeVito type alien wants to enslave uh to create the greatest theme park of the world mm. uh, of the world of the universe the mm. greatest theme park in the universe and so in order oh, so to he's get like more... the, he's like the collector from uh, the marvel universe yes okay and in order to get more people to the park he wants to enslave the looney tunes to do their performances at the park yeah that's it which is very funny because at the same time that this movie came out the warner brothers company sold the looney tunes rights to six flags so hilarious um it's <laughs> like commentary on their business deals Yes. So to go and capture the Looney Tunes, he sends down aliens and the aliens realize that they're too small and puny to take on the Looney Tunes. So when they go to Earth, the greatest warriors, because again, it's the 90s, the greatest warriors and soldiers they can find are the NBA basketball players. So they steal their powers. And so nobody in the NBA has their powers because of a magic basketball. And um, then they, the Looney Tunes tell the aliens with their basketball powers that it is Earth custom that in order to um, to beat them, they have to beat them at basketball. Okay. And so um, – uh, uh, or that happened out, out of order. But in any event. All right, they, whatever. The Looney, okay. Tunes, the Looney Tunes, their only person that they have is basketball players who weren't playing basketball, a.k.a. Michael Jordan. Right. So they pull Michael Jordan down into Toon World and they teach him to use Toon powers – and they do their basketball game, and Bill Murray shows up, and there's no explanation for that. Mm. And um, and you've got uh, 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 Newman from Seinfeld; he's there, and that's oh. a lot of fun. Okay. Um, and Lola Bunny is a very sexy. Yeah, version Lola of Bugs Bunny. Bunny. Now I kn- there's been a lot of <clears throat> Lola Bunny stuff. Uh, I hear she's very hot. In the original movie, she is a real piece. That's a real piece of bunny ass. Yeah, Uh, okay. And then in the new movie, she's all covered up and she's strong, um, which is so dumb because you could just make bugs sexy and even it out. Um, uh, But then in the new – so in the new movie, uh, uh, they're doing a a shared universe instead of Looney Tunes universe. It's like fictional world and it's all in computer servers or something. Um, But they've, they've made it woke. So they've said like no sexy bunnies and also no Pepe Le Pew because that's rapey and um, and all of that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the properties that they're bringing in in their like meta universe are like a Clockwork Orange, which is like really? all about really? rape and violence. Wait, they're actually introducing a Clockwork Orange yes. characters or something into this? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's very unusual. I mean, that I did not see that coming. Uh, all of WB's character pantheon. Um, oh, I, right. Okay, movie. right. Okay. I saw the trailer, and it's like a lot of like cameos. I didn't catch Clockwork Orange, but I'll admit I'm intrigued now that you've mentioned it. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm more I'm more interested in seeing it than I was a, a few minutes ago. But before before I finish this explanation of Space Jam, I just want to recommend that everybody look up um, Rachel Bloom has a musical number about explaining the plot of Space Jam. Is Rachel, Bloom, like- is Rachel Bloom the girl from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? Yes. Okay. She does a musical number um, where she explains the plot of Space Jam, and it's about five to seven minutes long, and it is so delightful. So yeah. uh, okay. that'll catch you up nice and fast. So these mm. tiny cartoon aliens... Mm. <laughs> Michael Jordan is playing golf with Larry Bird and Bill Murray. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, so there's this expanded Pantheon universe now where they'll be playing basketball together. Okay, well that sounds fun. I I caught some of the Lola. I was forced to Google Lola Bunny because I saw people on the TL talking about Lola Bunny, and I had to know. Uh, and then I was like, oh yeah, this is a pretty big design change for Lola Bunny. I personally, this maybe says about you know something about who I am. I find the new Lola Bunny to be sexier than the old Lola Bunny. That's just one man's opinion on a cartoon bunny. Um, <laughs> but, you know, different strokes for different folks, literally. And uh, that's just how we play the game. Now, moving on to the next subject, because I have literally nothing to say about Space Jam. You don't is, have anything to say about <laughs> I mean, this I, I think, I think, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm excited. Uh, you know, I, I, it's sort of, to me, a new Space Jam is sort of like, another reflection of the power of uh, fandom. I think somebody somewhere they're was like... They're taking the I mean, Looney Tunes this time and putting them in real world. So they look all I'm, real. Yeah, they're like it's 3D, gross. right? I think... I think... I think... Um, like, the original Space Jam was not a hit, correct? It was a monster hit. No, was it? Yes, yeah, Space Jam did I don't know. Phenomenal. Let me, is that true? Let me see. Yes. Well, why did it take them so long to do a sequel if it was such a big hit? Because two things. One, no, I it was mean, not a monster hit. It cost eighty million dollars to make it and made two hundred and fifty million dollars at the box office. That's an okay hit if you factor in marketing uh -huh. and costs. And how to do on VHS and merchandise? Well, hold on. Let me just see what the what this says about uh, box office. Uh huh. Ninety million. Uh huh. Domestically debuted twenty seven. The Space Jam friends franchise is estimated to have generated six billion dollars in total random okay, revenue, including I mean. for merchandise, Air Jordans, Bugs Bunny shirts, Happy Meals, Muggsy Bogues jerseys, and Tweety gowns. All right. Well, okay, fine. I don't remember Space Jam being a big hit, but you know what? It was a. I was very busy being an adult at that time, and it probably wasn't for me. It's um, a movie based on a Nike commercial, so clearly it made it, it like there was a lot of pl product placement. Right, in the that movie. makes sense. So I think like I think it's great that we we're revisiting. You know, uh, here's the problem with everything that's modern. To be honest with you, everything modern, especially when they're like, let's reboot this or whatever. Everybody's trying so hard to be to do this like meta self aware shit. I mean, to your point about the Clockwork Orange stuff, I think it's like there is this unbelievable trend of that is so fatiguing and getting so old of like people going like it's for kids but like it's actually for adults and we're putting all this stuff and it's like really meta and we're making it like self-aware and the characters are breaking the fourth wall and like it was fun when it was a magic trick like when shrek was novel this is no longer not shrek was 20 years ago that's what i'm saying i think it's like i think it's like i i guess i just get less excited i mean i i obviously watch have watched a lot of uh kids content uh with zelda and you know i think the ones that are that are trying really hard to be kind of like up to appeal to adults are often like don't end up being not that fun for kids and not that interesting and i've seen her react like you know kind of like you can just the kids can kind of tell when you, you know people are like oh i'd really rather be making an adult film um but like i just think it's a, just a, well, it's just this modern idea that that it, you have to please all audiences that you can't just make like something that's more pure you know i think I, maybe it'll be good maybe it'll be great uh it's very unlikely i'll watch it that's all i have to say um i think <laughs> it ties into what we were saying about the falcon and the winter soldier which is like if you want to make a ma an action movie about political with like political overtones cool 
but this is a superhero universe that already has established politics and like you're shoehorning a lot of stuff in then it's going to ruin the characters yeah, and yeah. Ruin the- I, I agree and not to go back to the marvel stuff but i do think um there was i think something like really interesting about wandavision because it was like okay hey let's talk about our world but we're not going to make it about our politics we're going to make it, it about was unapologetic yeah, but it was also set. It, it, it like played with reality in a way where it wasn't going to the most obvious and heavy-handed options for how to bring some of the some of the issues of their universe into the issues of our universe. I mean, it, it played with like pop culture, and it played. It, there was obviously a backdrop of war and a backdrop of of conflict and a backdrop of politics, but it wasn't like overtly like hey or like is socialism bad or whatever i mean i just you do one just worries you know i'm not saying that they're, they're doing that in the new space jam film but you do worry if clock if the clockwork orange characters are in it like who the movie's actually for and what they're trying to say with it and maybe don't say anything maybe just make an entertaining fucking movie about um cartoons playing basketball you know well speaking of cartoons can we talk quickly about nfts yes the um, and and FTs, what I'm calling it. NFTs are over. The bubble has burst. Uh, I I think that's true. I think that I mean I think we talked about Krispy creaming things on this podcast, and I would say that nothing has been Krispy creamed faster or harder besides Krispy Kreme than the NFT market. It's like if everybody can make an NFT, they don't have any value. Uh, stuff like Beeple is absolutely bubble shit, like hardcore bubble shit. And, you know, at the end of the day, NFTs are really designed to get people who are already super duper rich, even richer, uh, by preying on people who have less money and less understanding of what the fuck they are. And, and, and perhaps at the top of this, most importantly, most NFTs that are produced are garbage. They're garbage art. They're bad art. And that, to me, is the most offensive problem with NFTs right now, is that it's a lot of bad shit that sucks being spewed out in a scramble for fast money. That's my um, that's my review of NFTs. Yeah, I think NFTs, I don't know. I never really saw how this was going to be sustainable, but I do think that I I chatted with um the team at Blanco's Block Party from Mythical Games, which is a sort of Minecraft meets Skylanders meets Roblox sort of world where it's like a game where you can build anything and you can create games within the game and like it's full of possibilities, but all of the DLC style, like skins, vinyl figures, characters, all of that, they're all NFTs. So if you earn and unlock something or buy something, you can then resell it in their marketplace so you're not like out money. So if a kid buys like a million skins and their parents get upset, they can then flip those skins and get their money back. Or you could buy a limited edition skin and then in five years, if the game's still going, presumably... Um, Nobody's had access to that for five years. You could sell it; it would be worth money. Yeah, I think um, I think that's kind of interesting. I, I mean, think that that is the next step for NFTs and for in-game stuff. Is to, is all right, fine. I don't mind purchasing things, but what I hate is that I I don't even like that when I buy a game, I can't lend it to a friend. Like if I buy a game digitally, I can't let someone borrow it. Like I really enjoy giving people games. Um, and like I love being like, this was great. I played it once. I'm never going to play it again. You should play it. Um, but I think the idea of like. T- tying something to it that can give it inherent value, I understand like why that's useful here. What I don't understand is why it would be useful for things like a picture that like 
anyone can look at the picture. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, I, why I, do you need to own the rights to Jack's tweet? I actually, I actually, well, that is, you know, really dumb. I actually think there's something – there was originally something really interesting and there continues to be something interesting about the idea that we have found a way, a pretty credible way to make digital art unique and to say there is an original and there are copies, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. And I think you could make the same argument about – now, look, an original painting versus a print or an original photo, the the photo – developed by the photographer versus the prints made. There's different value to those, but prints have value. You know, numbered prints, signed prints, those have value. And and certainly originals have value. I mean, obviously what you don't have is like, there is no, there's something, you know, like, okay, this, I can take it out of rotation and put it somewhere. Like you really can't do that because a digital copy is a, is a digital copy. And but, it's a perfect copy. And a perfect copy. But the idea that that one can be, have a token attached to it that signifies that that is the the genesis of anything else and that everything else is a copy of it is an interesting concept that I believe has potential long-term value, um, particularly in things like in art, right? Where, where when you make digital art, there really is no way to kind of, I mean, you literally can say, oh, I have it on a flash drive attached to a monitor that it sits in a gallery. And if you want but it- other than psychologically, <clears throat> what does that, what use does that have? Well, I mean, you get into that argument about what, what, what use is it if it's like a photograph, the original photograph the, that the photographer developed versus a print that he signed and numbered, you know, uh, you, he's like, does it matter? It's the same photo, same technique used to, to create it. Uh, but like, I mean- you know, I, there are varying degrees. There's all sorts of, of ways to think about it. But, like, the idea that something can have value beyond its physicality is obviously a, is truth, right? We know that that exists. Mm -hmm. So, um... That's the, true. I mean, if it was something that I really cared about, like, if someone was like, here's, you know, the first the first gold master file of Bioshock and you owned the rights to it. Yeah. And it's signed. Like I probably would take it. I wouldn't pay that amount of money. Like I'm not paying $69 million for anything. Right. Sure. But well, the 69 but, million thing is a little ridiculous. I mean, we went from, we went from this being a kind of new medium that people are experiencing and playing around with to, Oh, it's Picasso level value. And that's stupid. I mean, that's not, yeah. Beeple's not fucking Picasso. His shit is not worth what Picasso shit is worth. Obviously the market dictates and you could say, well, if people say it's worth that, then it is. But like the reality is it may be worth it one time as like a bubble hype moment. It will not be worth that over and over and over again. I I will I I'm I'll, I'm making a lot of predictions of this podcast. I think people will not be uh selling $69 million pieces of art for very long. Okay. Um <laughs> the the but there is something interesting to me about that idea that there's uh, this is the original. And I think that has value, and I believe um, that it's a value that is worth exploring and, 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 and people, and I think there is a way to like invest in it and, and to spend uh, money in that way that makes a lot of sense. If you look at what has happened in the art world, I just think there are, there are, there are arguments that, um, you know, you can attach value to things that otherwise it's like a painting is not the cost of the canvas and the paints. Right. And yes, of course it's the original art that you can buy, but it's also not the cost of the original art that you're buying. You're buying the idea that that original piece has value. So in the same way in NFT, you can say that original piece has value. Everything else is a copy. This one is the original. It is ordained by the artist, right? 
I actually saw a conversation. I think Felix Salmon and somebody else on Twitter were talking about it, and somebody compared, you know, NFTs originality to like, you know, Catholicism, like like to religion, kind of believing in this, you know, th this uh, ascribing sort of like something to an inanimate object, like almost like the wafer being Jesus's body in the act of of eating it, in that act of 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 that religious ceremony, you agree that it is something that it clearly is not. And there's like, there's an interesting conversation to have around that stuff. I mean, I think that's sort of like fun to think about and talk about. The point is people ascribe value to things that are uh, copies all the time. Uh, and they ascribe value to things that they believe are the originals, even if there are versions of it that are exactly the same. You know, it's like you can buy, you know, there's like, you know, it's like, it's like the not little Nossack Satan shoes, you know, like, there's 666 of them, you know, and those have value because even if you make another one, it's not the same thing. At any rate, getting back to the, my point, but the problem is that that what happened is that instead of things becoming, uh, instead of galleries developing around this and schools of art developing around them and like real art people getting involved, kind of like, not that, I mean, real, you know, but like I think people who have critical opinions that have value and artists who have work that is established as having value, it's hard, you know, it's, it's just got very muddy very fast. It just became like, well, if anybody can do an NFT, then what's, then what is an NFT? You know, if anybody is, if everybody now is an artist that can sell their piece of art for $50,000, then like, what's the value of any of it? Right. The point about art and what makes it valuable is exclusivity. And, and that, in end-to-end -end exclusivity, not just because there's only one of them, but because also a small group of people decide which ones are valuable and which ones aren't. And a small group of people create those ones that have value. And listen, you can argue about the, about the, the, the politics and the economics and the culture of the art world. I mean, there's plenty to not like about it. But what's true and has been historically true is that art is, it's hard to create value in art. And when you do, that value can be huge. And now it's like, if it's easy to create value in art, then like nothing really has value. And what is it? What are we doing? Why are we spending money on it? Why, why did people get $69 million and somebody else got $6? You know, does it 69 million, 69 million. Nice. At any rate, so so I think I think for the time being, NFTs are kind of over. I could see them. Re I mean, I think that we're going to just see a slow decline of the value of any of that stuff. I do think we could see a reconstitution when uh, the right people in the right way get involved. You know, I think, uh, but we're not there yet. It's oversaturated, and I think that most like real quote unquote real artists and some some great artists have done it, but like most real artists are kind of keeping away from it, and they know that like they devalue themselves if they start doing that stuff. So until that doesn't, it doesn't feel that way. It's going to be very hard to make a, very hard to make a, to make it seem, um, you know, like, like something that has value legitimate. long, long, yeah. Long lasting and legitimate value. All right. Well, let's move on to nice things. Um, what's your nice things for this week? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think my night, my main nice thing has been, I've been playing a lot of Castlevania symphony of the night um and i i started playing it i i was like oh it's available for like ios and i downloaded it on my ipad and i was like well i have this 8-bit do controller i'll just like connect this and i was playing it like i'd end the day and i'd go kind of sit in my favorite chair and just grab the ipad and play it sitting there and it was super fun and um 
And then I was like, wait, I bought this for my like PlayStation and I have it and I should just play it on the TV where it'll be bigger and better and it's easier to do. And um, so I've started, I've just been playing it like kind of religiously and it's such a nice break from like modern gaming. And it's also just so incredibly fun and inventive. I mean, I played the game that precedes it, which is Rondo of Blood, which is like Castlevania, Dracula X, as it's known. Um, I played that obsessively when I was a kid, like all the way through. Like, I think I did, like, I didn't get all of it complete, but like 98% of it complete. Um, and this game is is in a very similar vein. It's non-linear. It is, there are tons of weird secrets. There's tons of weird little Easter eggs in it. It's just like wildly inventive, incredibly frustrating sometimes. Um the the map levels are are massive and and meandering and have all of these parts that are like you can't get to unless you get other things and it's just like it just reminds me that you know that that there is a type of game I mean I love Dead Cells we've talked about Dead Cells a lot it's obviously in that um it's in that vein there's a type of game like that 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 you know the Castlevania side scroller um that just is you know, it's just inescapably great when it's done right. And so, yeah, that's my nice thing is play Castlevania Symphony of the Night in, in whatever format you can get it in. <laughs> I own it in so many formats. Um, It's such a great game. I know, same. Now I have at least like Exquisite. maybe three. Um, My nice things are, one, we never got to really talk about it, but uh, Montero, Call Me By Your Name by Lil Nas X. Uh, Take over the world, please. So I good. Mean, what a joy. What a... Anyone who called him a one-hit wonder suffer. Uh, this is just great. Well, the it's like it's, great. it's not only just that. Yeah, it's not just the music, but just the whole. The, the evangelicals are mad. I mean, making Christians mad always great stuff. I mean, Satan stuff hilarious. I mean, his responses, like his Twitter existence and his responses to people, is just so like where you want a person to be, a celebrity to be at this point. It's just, it's magical. The other great thing is that two days ago, I went and did my final consultation. Um, I am going to be getting some plastic surgery in a month. Oh, no. And what are you doing? very, very excited. Um, I, for a long time, I've had a lot of, like, excess skin and scar tissue and um, excess breast tissue that I just didn't ever really feel comfortable about. And I've spent basically, like, every year since I turned 16 self-conscious about it and uncomfortable and... Um, and you know, it's uh, one of those things that, like, I think it, it, in lots of little ways, has impacted. It has impacted my day to day life. Like, just I don't fit in most clothes, and when I do fit in clothes, I, like they're you know very rare, and then I have to rewear them a million times. Or, um, you know, just stuff like not loving going to the beach or a water park because I feel very uncomfortable. Or, you know, and and I don't, I'm not, I don't feel this way about other people. Like I don't look at other people's bodies and pick them apart. But for some reason, it has always really bothered me. I've been very self-conscious about it. And it's been something that I've really fantasized about being able to do. Like I would look in the mirror and just be like, what if this was gone? What if I could fix this issue? Um, and it ends up that you can. And like, as long as you're not as long as you're being realistic about your outcome and understanding you're going to have scars and understanding what like life afterward recovery and stuff is going to be like, I, I, you know, if you can afford it or if it's possible for you to get, I, I mean, go right ahead. Like the, the, of the few things that I've had done um, and the, the, 
in the lead up to this, like to prepare, um, I feel really great about them. And I feel like this is going to be very freeing for me and very cathartic, especially after COVID and feeling like not in control of my body or my life. Like it feels like I'm going to be, it's, I'm doing something to take charge of the situation. And when I spoke to the plastic surgeon, um, Dr. Steinbrick in New York, if you're looking, um, he is the best in the country at what he does for men's plastic surgery to begin with. But also he just said that like, a lot of the times people that come into him fall into multiple categories, but one of the big categories is people who really want to exercise and they really want to live um, that ideal, healthy, active lifestyle, but for whom their level of uncomfortability, either with where they're starting or what, like what their current situation is, keeps them from doing things like running outside because they can, they feel like they're that like everything's moving and jiggling or they get bruised. Yeah. yeah. Um, they, or you get chafed or you get blisters um, or the gym is really uncomfortable or swimming is really uncomfortable. And he was like, most of the time, the people who come in and get this kind of work done go on then to be extremely active and healthy and li live much larger lives. Mm. And I, he has never heard anyone who's, or, or, I mean, he's, you know, I, I had already paid at this point. So he was free to tell me if that was the case. But um, he he's, hasn't heard of any of his patients like having massive regrets or or having feeling like their lives haven't changed in any meaningful way and for me i really i've wanted this change and i've really been i've really thought about it for a long time so for me it's the right choice i've settled on it i'm very excited for my life after um and i'm you know i it's a it's a it's a whole scary thing but it's i think it's going to be a good thing and a good change for me so i'm really excited the, to me this is very long this has been a very long time coming it was kind of like a dream i never really thought would happen like i was always just kind of settled into like hating my body and mm. hating little aspects that are highly changeable but i never thought would be possible and it ends up it's all highly possible and you you can take charge of the situation and you don't have to settle for whatever circumstances you're currently stuck in um and i i, I think also i would balance this with saying that like if you don't feel this way, uh, great. If you feel so comfortable in every aspect of your body and there's or, – or if your body is a beautiful, perfect body and you feel a dysmorphia for it, definitely speak to a psychologist or a therapist before you do anything like this and definitely try to get control of your circumstances in a non-permanent way. Um, but if this is the right option for you uh, – I don't feel any shame or, or frustration and I understand people are going to judge me and I understand if I, you know, post about all of this, people are going to have things to say yeah. um, and I understand that, but I just don't give a shit. Like if you'd have not lived with something that physically has and psychologically has been a day, like I think about it every hour of every day, yeah. if you haven't lived with something that is physically stopping you in some respects you don't know what you're talking about, so I don't really care about your, like, suffering yeah. or whatever. I, I you know? think, listen, I've, as you know, I support you in all things. Uh, and this is obviously very personal stuff, you know, very personal choices. Uh, you know, the thing about, the thing about uh, I think people should do what makes them happy, first off, number one. Uh, I, I, the thing that, that weirds me out with, like, body modification is, like, this trend of, like, people becoming, like, looking like all like each other. Like, like yeah. whatever's happening with like the Kardashians and their friends, it's like, I, I'm not, and it's like, I get it. Like you, you need, feel like you need to do this, not you, them, but it's just like, it is weird that you see like, it's like becoming, there's like this face or this body that's like, this is the right way to have a face or a body. And I think like this stuff should be personal. It should be about like personal preference. And I think like it's, 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 I, I, you know, listen, I mean, 
uh, there are things I've joked for many years about getting a nose job. I'm not going to, but uh, frankly, because I'm scared. Um, but <laughs> you know, I have like a big nose, and I'm like, well, I wonder what I look like with a smaller nose. But you know, it's sort of my personal brand now. It's like you know, you see me, I can sneak around. You know, when I'm coming around a corner. Um, but uh, you I, know, I think what you're talking about too is just about a realisticness with the results. Like, I think a lot of people see Kim Kardashian and they're like, oh, I'll just do the things that she did. But like, yeah. first off, she's a different body than you, and second. You're seeing her results with makeup and filters and revisions. Oh and my god, yeah. Laser it's crazy. treatments for the scars and and even then when you see them unphotoshopped, they don't look like that. So yeah. you have to be realistic about the fact that a huge ass is not going to look good on everybody and it probably doesn't look as good on Kim Kardashian as you're assuming that it does in yeah. real life. Yeah. So I, I you have to have I went in with very realistic. I said these are the things I don't like. I have no idea what I should look like afterward, but I'm telling you that I want this stuff changed. I want to be able to go to a store and put on clothing and just buy it. I want to go buy a a large t-shirt and wear it and have no problems. Everyone else gets to do this. I would like to do that in my lifetime. I would like to walk into a boutique in Majorca and purchase a shirt and have a lovely day rather than spiraling out about the fact that I can't do that. Um and the doctor was like, here are the things I would do. Here's what generally what your results will be. Here are the problems afterward. Like you're going to have scars here. You're not going to have sensation in this part of your body for like a year. You're not going to – all this stuff. And I made the the judgment. But you can't go in with these ideas that like I looked at – you know, I looked at a Jenner and I said – or I looked at a Hadid and I said, that's for me. And go in with a picture and say, make me this. It's just – it's not how it works. It's not – that's not reality. Yeah. yeah. And I think we have a very unhealthy relationship with reality at the moment. And you shouldn't be doing anything permanent based on what you've seen on Instagram or, you know, like, I agree. Just... I agree. It's, it's like you, I, and I do actually feel like even with, with, with those people, the people who are like the people that are on Instagram, they're also like striving to do things to get closer to whatever their pictures look like on Instagram. And it's like, this is a, this cycle is really weird and bad. Like, I don't know that yeah. it leads to the place where you think it leads or should lead, you know? Anyhow, well, listen, I'm, I, I want you to, you know, obviously be very careful, take care of yourself, you know? Everybody uh, send vibes to me and to Dr. Steinbrecht because I did while talking to him. He was like, this is a five to eight hour surgery. And I was like, oh, boy, I hope he gets a good night's sleep. I hope nobody gives him bad news before. <laughs> just, like, yeah, just I proceed with caution. It's serious stuff. And, you know, you, you get you got you know, you got to be, you know, gentle with your body. Oh, listen, also, if you look really hot, I'm going to be very upset because I'm going to look so good. I'm supposed to be the hot <laughs> one on this podcast. Um, all right, we got to wrap up. We got to get out of here. Uh, but yeah, listen, I'm glad we're back. We'll be back soon. Who knows when? Very soon. No more than two weeks, probably. I don't know. Are we going to go to a two-week schedule on this? I think let's try to stick to a two-week schedule yeah. and, and sometimes do it every week. Summer hours. This will be like our spring summer hours. It'll be two weeks. and then when That the three-week break was not what we will be shooting for in the future. <laughs> no, no. It was too long. Too long without uh, knowing Tony, hearing Tony's hot breath. Or at least what I imagine is hot breath while we're speaking. All right. Good goodbye. Great. Bye breath. Well, that is our show for this week. We'll be back 
in two weeks with more tomorrow. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best, though I've just been told that your family has been uh, turned into an NFT and you no longer have any rights to them.